Section 17 of The Call of the Canyon by Zane Gray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9, Part 2. No sooner had Carly read the letter through to the end than she began it all over again, and on this second perusal she lingered over passages, only to reread them. That suggestion of her face, sculptured by shadows on the canyon walls, seemed to thrill her very soul. She leaped up from the reading to cry out something that was unutterable. All the intervening weeks of shame and anguish and fury and strife and pathos and the endless striving to forget were as if, by the magic of letter, made nothing but vain oblations. "'He loves me still,' she whispered, and pressed her breast with clenching hands, and laughed in wild exultance, and paced her room like a caged lioness. It was as if she had just awakened to the assurance she was beloved. That was the shibboleth, the cry by which she sounded the closed depths of her love, and called to the stricken life of a woman's insatiate vanity. Then she snatched up the letter to scan it again, and suddenly grasping the import of Glenn's request, she hurried to the telephone to find the number of the hospital in Bedford Park. A nurse informed her that visitors were received at certain hours, and that any attention to disabled soldiers was most welcome. Carly motored out there to find the hospital merely a long one-story frame structure, a barracks hastily thrown up for the care of invalid men of the service. The chauffeur informed her that it had been used for that purpose during the training period of the army, and later when injured soldiers began to arrive from France. A nurse admitted Carly into a small bare anteroom. Carly made known her errand. I'm glad it's Rust you want to see, replied the nurse. Some of these boys are going to die, and some will be worse off if they live. But Rust may get well if he'll only behave. You are a relative or friend? I don't know him, answered Carly, but I have a friend who is with him in France. The nurse led Carly into a long, narrow room with a line of single beds down each side, a stove at each end, and a few chairs. Each bed appeared to have an occupant and those nearest Carly lay singularly quiet. At the far end of the room were soldiers on crutches, wearing bandages on their heads, carrying their arms in slings. Their merry voices contrasted discordantly with their sad appearance. Presently Carly stood beside a bed and looked down upon a gaunt, haggard young man who lay propped up on pillows. Rust, a lady to see you, announced the nurse. Carly had difficulty in introducing herself. Had Glenn ever looked like this? What a face! Its healed scar only emphasized the pallor and furrows of pain that assuredly came from present wounds. He had unnaturally bright dark eyes and a flush of fever in his hollow cheeks. "'How do?' he said, with a wan smile. "'Who are you?' "'I'm Glenn Kilbourne's fiance," she replied, holding out her hand. "'Say, I ought to know you,' he said eagerly, and a warmth of light changed the gray shade of his face. "'You're the girl Carly. You're almost like my own girl. By golly, you're some looker. It was good of you to come. Tell me about Glenn.' Carly took the chair brought by the nurse, and pulling it close to the bed, she smiled down upon him and said, "'I'll be glad to tell you all I know, presently. But first, 
you must tell me about yourself are you in pain what is your trouble you must let me do everything i can for you and these other men carley spent a poignant and death-stirring hour at the bedside of glenn's comrade at last she learned from loyal lips the nature of glenn kilbourne's service to his country how carley clasped to her sore heart the praise of the man she loved the simple proofs of his noble disregard of self rust said little about his own service to country or to comrade but carley saw enough in his face he had been like glenn by these two carley grasped the compelling truth of the spirit and sacrifice of the legion of boys who had upheld american traditions their children and their children's children as the years rolled by into the future would hold their heads higher and prouder some things could never die in the hearts and the blood of a race these boys and the girls who had the supreme glory of being loved by them must be the ones to revive the americanism of their forefathers nature and god would take care of the slackers the cowards who cloaked their shame with bland excuses of home service of disability and of dependence carley saw two forces in life the destructive and the constructive on the one side greed selfishness materialism on the other generosity sacrifice and idealism which of them builded for the future she saw men as wolves sharks snakes vermin and opposed to them men as lions and eagles she saw women who did not inspire men to fare forth to seek to imagine to dream to hope to work to fight she began to have a glimmering of what a woman might be that night she wrote swiftly and feverishly page after page to glenn only to destroy what she had written she could not keep her heart out of her words nor a hint of what was becoming a sleepless and eternal regret she wrote until a late hour and at last composed a letter she knew did not ring true so stilted and restrained was it in all passages save those concerning news of glenn's comrade and of her own friends i'll never never write him again she averred with stiff lips and next moment could have laughed in mockery if she had ever had any courage glenn's letter had destroyed it but had it not been a kind of selfish false courage roused to hide her hurt to save her own future courage should have a thought of others yet shamed one moment at the consciousness she would write glenn again and again and exultant the next with the clamoring love she seemed to have climbed beyond the self that had striven to forget she would remember and think though she died of longing carley like a drowning woman caught at straws what a relief and joy to give up that endless nagging at her mind for months she had kept ceaselessly active by associations which were of no help to her and which did not make her happy in her determination to forget suddenly then she gave up to remembrance she would cease trying to get over her love for glenn and think of him and dream about him as much as memory dictated this must constitute the only happiness she could have the change from strife to surrender was so novel and sweet that for days she felt renewed it was augmented by her visit to the hospital in bedford park through her bountiful presence virgil rust and his comrades had many dull hours of pain and weariness alleviated and brightened interesting herself in the condition of the seriously disabled soldiers 
and possibility of their future took time and work. Carley gave willingly and gladly. At first she endeavored to get acquaintances with means and leisure to help the boys, but these overtures met with such little success that she quit wasting valuable time she could herself devote to their interests. Thus several weeks swiftly passed. Several soldiers, who had been more seriously injured than Rust, improved to the extent that they were discharged, but Rust gained little or nothing. The nurse and the doctor both informed Carley that Rust brightened for her, but when she was gone, he lapsed into somber indifference. He did not care whether he ate or not, or whether he got well or died. If I do pull out, where will I go and what will I do? He once asked the nurse. Carley knew that Rust's hurt was more than loss of a leg. She decided to talk earnestly to him and try to win him to hope and effort. He had come to have a sort of reverence for her. So biding her time, she at length found opportunity to approach his bed while his comrades were asleep or out of hearing. He endeavored to laugh her off and then tried subterfuge, and lastly he cast off his mask and let her see his naked soul. Carly, I don't want your money or that of your kind friends, whoever they are. You say will help me get into business, he said. God knows I thank you, and it warms me inside to find someone who appreciates what I've given. But I don't want charity, and I guess I'm pretty sick of the game. I'm sorry the Boshes didn't do the job right. Rust, that is morbid talk, replied Carly. You are ill, and you just can't see any hope. You must cheer up, fight yourself, and look at the brighter side. It's a horrible pity you must be a cripple, but Rust, indeed, life can be worth living if you make it so. How could there be a brighter side when a man's only half a man? He queried bitterly. You can be just as much a man as ever, persisted Carly, trying to smile when she wanted to cry. Could you care for a man with only one leg? He asked deliberately. What a question! Why, of course I could. Well, maybe you are different. Glenn always swore, even if he was killed, no slacker or rich guy left at home could ever get you. Maybe you haven't any idea how much it means to us fellows to know there are true and faithful girls. But I'll tell you, Carly, we fellows who went across got to see things strange when we came home. The good old U.S. needs a lot of faithful girls just now, believe me. Indeed, that's true, replied Carly. It's a hard time for everybody and particularly you boys who have lost so much. I've lost all except my life, and I wish to God I'd lost that, he replied gloomily. Oh, don't talk so, implored Carly in distress. Forgive me, Rust, if I hurt you, but I must tell you that, that Glenn wrote me, you'd lost your girl. Oh, I'm sorry, it is dreadful for you now, but if you got well and went to work and took up life where you left it, why soon your pain would grow easier and you'd find some happiness yet. Never for me in this world. But why, Russ, why? You're no, no. Oh, I mean you have intelligence and courage. Why isn't there anything left for you? Because something here has been killed, he replied, and put his hand to his heart. Your faith, your love of, of everything, did the war kill it? I'd gotten over that, maybe, he said drearily, with his somber eyes on space that seemed lettered for him but she half-murdered it, and they did the rest. They? Whom do you mean, Rust? Why, Carly, I mean the people I lost my leg for, he replied with terrible softness. 
the british the french she queried in bewilderment no he cried and turned his face to the wall carley dared not ask him more she was shocked how helplessly impotent all her earnest sympathy no longer could she feel an impersonal however kindly interest in this man his last ringing word had linked her also to his misfortune and his suffering suddenly he turned away from the wall she saw him swallow laboriously how tragic that thin shadowed face of agony carley saw it differently but for the beautiful softness of light in his eyes she would have been unable to endure gazing longer carley i'm bitter he said but i'm not rancorous and callous like some of the boys i know if you'd been my girl you'd have stuck to me yes carley whispered that makes a difference he went on with a sad smile you see we soldiers all had feelings and in one thing we all felt alike that was we were going to fight for our homes and our women i should say women first no matter what we read or heard about standing by our allies fighting for liberty or civilization the truth was we all felt the same even if we never breathed it glenn fought for you i fought for nell we were not going to let the huns treat you as they treated french and belgian girls and think nell was engaged to me she loved me and by god she married a slacker when i lay half dead on the battlefield she was not worth loving for or fighting for said carley with agitation and now you've said something he declared if i can only hold to that truth what does one girl amount to i do not count it is a sum that counts we love america our homes our women carley i've had comfort and strength come to me through you glenn will have his reward in your love somehow i seem to share it a little poor glenn he got his too why carley that guy wouldn't let you do what he could do for you he was cut to pieces please rust don't say any more i am unstrung she pleaded why not it's due you to know how splendid glenn was i tell you carley all the boys here love you for the way you've stuck to glenn some of them knew him and i've told the rest we thought he'd never pull through but he has and we know how you helped going west to see him he didn't write it to me but i know i'm wise i'm happy for him the lucky dog next time you go west hush cried carley she could endure no more she could no longer be a lie you're white you're shaking exclaimed rust in concern oh what did i say forgive me rust i'm no more worth loving and fighting for than your nell what he ejaculated i have not told you the truth she said swiftly i have let you believe a lie i shall never marry glenn i broke my engagement to him slowly rust sank back upon the pillow his large luminous eyes piercingly fixed upon her as if he would read her soul i went west yes continued carley but it was selfishly i wanted glenn to come back here he had suffered as you have he nearly died but he fought he fought oh he went through hell and after a long slow horrible struggle he began to mend he worked he went to raising hogs he lived alone he worked harder and harder the west and his work saved him body and soul he had learned to love both the west and his work i did not blame him but i could not live out there he needed me but i was too little too selfish i could not marry him i gave him up i left him alone 
Carley shrank under the scorn in Rust's eyes. And there's another man, he said, a clean, straight, unscarred fellow who wouldn't fight. Oh, no, I swear there's not, whispered Carley. You too, he replied thickly. Then slowly he turned that worn, dark face to the wall. His failed breast heaved, and his lean hand made her a slight gesture of dismissal, significant and imperious. Carley fled. She could scarcely see to find the car. All her internal being seemed convulsed, and a deadly faintness made her sick and cold. End of chapter 9, part 2